Good morning, church. Good morning, Jay. Now, I can, I can read minds. It just came to me, and I can read minds. I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, no! <laughs> Jay's speaking? What? It's because this always happens. It's like the one time you're like, I just got to hear Peter this week, or I, my sister flew in from Florida, and I wanted to hear Peter so bad, and ah, oh, it's the youth guy. Ah. Oh. Now, you're better Christians than me because you're like, oh, no, we're glad to see you, Jay. Well, it happens to me all the time because I bring someone in or I'm like, I got to hear Peter this week. I need it. Oh, man, we got a guest speaker. You know? <laughs> so I can read your mind. But look, the reason why I'm up here and Peter's sitting down this week is because we decided it would be really good for you to know who I am, but specifically what burns right here. What makes me who I am, what drives me, and when you send your kids over to the room that, with Jay, you know what I'm all about, okay? Now, the first thing that you got to know is that me and my wife over here are brand new to Colorado, okay? We had, I had never been out past uh, Illinois or the Mississippi until three months ago, and there's certain things that people out east think about people from Colorado. Now, there are people from the east that come out and go skiing and snowboarding and they get it and they know people from Colorado. But a lot of people, like me, from the east have these assumptions, okay? So the first thing that you gotta know is these are the assumptions. The first thing is that this is the Colorado family <laughs> because it's the Wild West, right? I don't know, could be, it's the Rocky Mountains. Okay, next one, that's the Colorado house. But see, I haven't figured this one out because some of you living in uh, houses like this, they're just like $400 billion and they're on top of mountains. Or some people actually live in houses like this down the road. So I haven't quite figured this one out. I don't know about Colorado yet on that. Uh, I thought this was the car because it's the Rocky Mountains. I gotta go up here over this mountain, go to church, I don't know. Okay, next one, the Colorado activity. That everyone in Colorado does something outdoorsy. All right, so you can come up to somebody from Colorado and say, hey, you're from Colorado, that's great. What kind of climbing gear do you got? It's just assumed that everyone from Colorado does this kind of stuff. What's the next one? Broncos fans. That's what Jesus Bucking Bronco. On. Jesus rides on that, Jay. No. Bucking Bronco, look at that thing. That's, that looks like your season. But anyway, the Coloradoans are pretty cool. That's what I'm learning, all right? Um, you gotta know that this too, we, out east, uh, when, when, when you're driving down the road, you see like this green license plate, and you're always like, ooh, they're from Colorado, out there by the Rockies, out west. That's what we think, seriously. And then what you do is you say to your buddy, you go, I bet you 10 bucks that when we pull up on this guy, he's going to have a beard. <gasps> yes, he does. Everyone from Colorado has beards. I don't know. A lot of my good friends have beards, so it's cool. But, um, but so that's my assumptions about Colorado. Now the next thing that you need to know about what makes me who I am, what makes me passionate, is, and get this, this is, this is crazy. I don't know if I can say the word pastor. I don't know if I like being a pastor. Whoa! Jay, you're a pastor. Ah. And when someone comes up to me, you know what? If you ask me what I do here, I'm always going to say something like, I'm the youth guy. 
I'm the youth dude. I, I, I'm the leader of the young adults. And very rarely will you hear me say, well, I'm the youth pastor. Okay? It's just something I just, ugh, I don't know. And when someone comes up to me and they go, hey, Pastor Jay, I'm like, ooh, seriously? What? I don't know about that. Really? It's probably because baggage or whatever. But we're going to talk about it today. And that's going to sort of what drives the message. Okay? So what I'm going to do is I'm going to pray real quick because... For me, I just need to get focused, all right? So pray with me just for a second. Um, God, I just, I want to be this, the, the mouth for you. And that's it. And I don't want to say something from me. And I want you to help these people get that I'm just a person as a result of grace. And help them to forget the things that I say that don't have anything to do with that. Amen. If you have a desire to find out about Jesus, I can promise you this, okay? It's a guarantee that when you open up the Bible, you say, man, I really want to know about Jesus. I don't know about him. If you open up the Bible, you're going you're gonna to read it and you're going to be like, whoa, I, they knew that I was going to read this when they wrote it because that's me. Or you're going to read a story and you're going to be like, whoa, no way. I'm like this. I'm totally relate to this guy or this girl. And this, this is amazing because the Bible is living. Okay. And that's something to get excited about because it's going to speak to everyone in here in different ways and at different times. Okay. If you're in high school, my dude down here, I see a couple of you out there. You're going to relate to the Bible and what Jesus is doing, what God's doing, you're gonna relate differently than probably when you're a parent. That's what I'm learning, okay? So different times we relate different ways. And for me right now, the way that I, that I relate and the story that I open up to and I say, man, this is what it's about and this is me, is the story about the woman at the well. Now I understand that we're all in different levels here of our spiritual journey, okay? Some of you have spent years in church and I'm gonna be talking to you in certain ways and there's some people here and I totally get it. You're like, well, someone just dragged me here, okay? So I need to set up this story so everyone has a refresher or we're all on the same page, okay? We're gonna read about it in a second, but here's the story. Jesus, Jesus goes to this well and it's really cool, side story. You gotta get this. We're only gonna hit the big idea in this story and today. I'm going to throw out a bunch of things. And if you want to know deeper things about this story, uh, about the woman at the well, we're going to put it on the internet. Peter did an amazing sermon. I listened to it. It is amazing. Did an amazing sermon message on this exactly a year ago about this story. If you want to know details about this story, go online and check it out. Okay? And when I say things today, you got to get that it's the big picture. Okay? Whenever someone talks about big picture, keep in mind, it's the big picture. Okay, so Jesus comes to this well and he's tired and he's exhausted and lo and behold this gal comes down and she's here to get water. Water like that we drink. Bottled water, she's thirsty. Okay, we get that. She's coming to do that. Well, this is what happens. It's a little bit weird because she's, a, she's from Samaria and, and, and Jesus is a Jew. So it's already a little bit of friction here normal between, normally between Jews and, and people from Samaria. And so it's also a little bit weird because she's a gal and Jesus is a dude. And so they, you know, this is a little bit socially awkward back then, okay? They didn't really communicate. But Jesus is talking to this gal and, she, and he engages her while she's getting water. Okay, now this is what's going on. Let's read the story up here. You, everyone can follow along. 
A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, asked for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? That's the first thing here. For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself and did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. You know what my reaction is? What? Seriously? Jesus is going to talk to this gal in person. Why don't you just make it clear, Jesus? Tell her what to do. Whenever I read stories in the Bible, it seems like it's always because Jesus is using stories and parables. It's always like, Jesus, seriously, just tell me what to do. Living water? I don't know exactly what that means. I don't know if that's enough. Like, really? Tell me what to do. Tell the woman at the well what to do. Why did you come 2,000 years ago? Why don't you come now and get on Fox News and MSNBC and start a Twitter account and a Facebook account and get on the radio and then everyone will know that you're awesome and then you can tell us what to do and what you want us to do and what you can do for us. Make it clear. Living water? Really? Is that enough? So you guys have that question. It's the church, all of us. We're like, ah, I don't know. What we need to do, bright idea, we need to hire a pastor. And then the pastor's job is to get you guys excited about living water and tell you what to do. And then you're like, exactly, we want you to tell us what to do. And it's a two-fold thing, it's back and forth. Tell us what to do, pastor. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to tell you what to do because living water, I don't know, if, I don't know. like really, like that's kind of vague. I don't know. Tell us, pastor. Tell us what to do. So this is what we do. This is the visual right here. Um, this is going to help us understand it. Right here, we have the seat of apathy. All right? <laughs> the Broncos. All right? We all know that Broncos fans are spiritually down here. Okay? No, no, no. It's Cutler, actually. It's Cutler. Okay, no. Either way, this is going to be the seat of apathy. I'm just a Bengals fan. This is the seat of apathy. And for our illustration, what we're going to try to do is get this person out of this seat into this relationship and this journey to follow Jesus. And this is sort of our heaven ascent. You know, it's just typical. And it's kind of like, yes. And that's what we're going to try to We read this and we say to this guy in this seat, young guy, 30, 35 never had a relationship, feeling lonely. We say, I got something for you. Jesus is good, and it's living water! The guy's like, seriously? Give me a little, give me something else. Tell me what to do. And then I'm like, okay, I'm the pastor. I'm going to tell you what to do. And I'm going to try to make this make sense, and so I'm going to bring Barbie into the picture. And I'm going to say, because you're a lonely guy, what Jesus wants to do for you 
is provide you a companion. And it's going to make your life make sense. And then you're going to get together. And then they start getting out of the chair because they're like, this is sweet. If this is living water, I want it. You're like, yes, because the pastor's like, yes, I'm doing it. I'm doing it. They're out of the seat. And Jesus is going to provide this gal because he doesn't want you to be lonely. And you're going to really connect with this gal. And it's just great. And yes, yes, I did it. I'm the pastor that got out of the seat of apathy. And that's living water. And I explained it. And then like a third of the guys in here are like, yes, Barbie. Yes. And they're excited about living water. And then, so then what we do is we say, the next person in the seat of apathy, we say, oh, you know what? They're struggling with their marriage. And I know all about struggling with marriage. It's starting to fall apart. And they're sitting in that seat, and the pastor comes up and says, I know what I can do for you. And living water... I know what I can give you, and I can make it better, I can make sense of it, and I can make it good, and it's that Jesus doesn't want your marriage to fall apart, and he's going to make it all better by giving you Ken, and, and gals, your husband, and then they start getting out of the seat, gals, your husband is going to scratch your back, and talk, and ask you questions about your day every single day, and talk to you for four hours each night, and man, it's just going to be great. And then Ken, actually, your wife is just going to be, like, awesome. And she's going to, like, make you food for the football games. And she's going to watch a football game with you. And you're going to have an awesome sex life. And your relationship's going to be here. Yes! And then two-thirds of the people now are up and down, like all the young guys and all the people in here that are struggling with marriage. And they're super pumped. And then the church is like, yes, that's what you're supposed to do for us, pastor. And pastor's like, yes, I'm doing it. I'm getting them out of the seat. And we're excited. And living water makes sense. How about this? This is classic. Health, wealth. This is, this is classic because we have someone up here in the seat of apathy saying, what, do you, what should I do? My business is failing. I've got like $30,000 in debt. Everything's sort of going downhill. And then to get really serious, we got someone up there, what do I do? Because I got cancer and I got medical bills and I'm struggling. And we come up and we say, oh, it's so good, living water, you need it. It's so good, it's enough for you. And it doesn't make sense. Well, tell us what to do, pastor, in this situation. We say, check this accent out. Well, I'll tell you what you need to do. Jesus is going to provide you money. And all those bills that are sitting on your table are just going to poof, disappear. And you're going to have like $100,000 in your bank account. Because God wants your business to succeed. Because you're good. He loves you. And you know what? Don't even worry about health insurance because Jesus is going to make everything make sense. He's going to heal you if you love Jesus. And you don't even need to worry about that. Yes! And then the whole church, that covers everybody, right? So the whole church is like, yes, this is great. And they're excited. They're up and down and then the pastor's like I did it I did it and the church is like yes we love our pastor he did it he told us what to do we didn't know about living water what he told us what to do and then everyone I say okay everyone go to work and tell them about living water and everyone's like oh yes I will do that and then so everyone goes out and they tell all their lonely friends Jesus is going to provide the best companion for you and everyone's like well you're struggling with your marriage come to my church because they explain living water and they say your marriage is going to succeed Everything's going to be good, and you're struggling with money and health, and you just come to our church, and Jesus is going to give you living water, and you know what that means? That means everything's going to be okay. Folks, that is ugly to me. It's 
dirty and grimy. Because I've been there. And as a youth pastor years ago, not like it was a long time ago, but when I was a youth pastor, I had a big budget one time, and I said, what I'm going to do is this living water is not making sense to these kids because they're just like, just texting and whatever. And, and I'm like, I know what to do to get them excited. I know what to do to make living water good and, and, and make everyone come into the church and everyone will get excited about and then we'll start jumping around and everything will be good. I'll make sense of living water. And I dangle an iPod out there and then they start getting out of there. And they're like, sweet, now you told us what to do. And so they start moving up and then like, and then you guys are all happy because you're like, oh, the youth pastor got my kid from Stop Texting. Now he's going to church and he's up there. Yes! And I think back now, four years later, and I go, oh no, Jesus. Did I really explain Living water like that? Did I make it like that? Oh, and it kills me. Can I go back? Can I change that? Seriously? And the reason that we do this is because we're programmed to do, okay? And now, some of you have come to Jesus and to know him when you're like 50 years old. I'm not 50, but your story, no matter what, is going to come in to relate to my story. But to understand what's burning in here, you need to understand how I grew up and why this is so common in my life and why it's so common in the church and why we do this. is because even when we're tiny little people, like 5 and 10 years old, the church and what we do is we tell people that Jesus is going to do stuff for us. And even when we're little kids, we're like, okay, this is cool. Because we start telling kids, hey, guess what? You're little? Well, Jesus used a little guy named David, and that's what he can do because he killed a, 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 a giant, and that's what Jesus can do through little kids. And little kids are like, whoa, I can kill giants? Are you kidding me? Whoa. And then, like, if there's a flood and, and you love Jesus, Jesus what, what he can do for you is you can go on this, uh, this ark, and then when everyone else dies, you can float around this ark, be with animals. Whoa! Little kids are like, this is awesome. And then, like, Three dudes got thrown into a furnace, and what Jesus can do for you if you love him is like when you get thrown in there, then like, you won't be burned up, and like, are you kidding me? Like, what kid doesn't like that? Jesus can do that for you. Young age. In junior high, I am, um, junior high, I was told what I should do for Jesus. So we switch it. And what that was is, Jay, what you need to do is you need to cut your hair. What you need to do is dress a little better. You need to, what you need to do is go to church on Sunday, Sunday, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday, anytime youth group had youth group, any event, anytime the church had anything go there. What you need to do is you need to stop hanging out with these people that you hang out with. What you need to do is stop doing the things you do with these people. And that's what you need to do for Jesus. Junior and in, in senior high and in college, I fell in love with Jesus. Oh man, I just oh, and I'd, I'd known him. I grew up in the church and, and in ways, but in, in high school and college, I just really fell in love with him. And I was like, man, Jesus is so good. And you know what my first thought was? Probably because I grew up this way, or it's just been ingrained in my brain and in your brains. Is what can I do for Jesus? And I start getting pumped, and I'm like, okay, I love you, Jesus. What am I going to do? I'll tell you what. I'm going to go work in a church because, Jesus, I love you, and that's what I'm going to do for you. So I'm going to go work in a church and be a youth pastor and a pastor, and that's what I'm going to do. Or, Jesus, 
I'll tell you what I'm going to do because I love you. I'm going to go and be a missionary in Africa because I love Africa, and I do. And, and that's what I'm going to do for you. And maybe I'll work in a nonprofit or at a camp. And Jesus, because I love you, that's what I'm going to do. And I left college right at the end, which is a bad idea. But I left college right at the end to go work at a church in Cincinnati called Crossroads. I love that place. If you're in Cincinnati, whoever's listening, David, go to, go to Crossroads. If you're in Ohio, drive down, go to Crossroads. If, you, if you're looking for a good vacation, go to beautiful Ohio and Cincinnati and go to Crossroads, all right? It's good out there. It's good, all right? But um, so I'm pumped because this church is growing and they're passionate and they're on fire. And so what I think is like, this is what I'm going to do for you, Jesus, and I have the perfect opportunity and so I go into this and I say, this is what I'm going to do. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to be the best youth pastor. I'm going to be the best example to these kids. I'm going to do what the parents want and get their kids out of the seat of apathy. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to be the best uh, parent. I'm going to be the best husband to my wife. And that's what I'm going to do because I love you, Jesus. And I get in there and I start doing it. And whether it's expectations or my expectations, people's expectations on me, my expectations, because of my abilities, whatever it is, is I start doing, and I start doing, and I start doing. And because I can't hold it all together and do it all, because I love Jesus, I can't do it all, things start to fall apart. I start, well, I'm not the best youth pastor. Not the best example. And then what happens is I start focusing on ministry. I'm doing ministry because I love Jesus. This is what you want me to do. And then my relationship with my wife is just tanking. Boom. Just falling apart completely. And once that happens, the ministry just falls apart. And I'll tell you what. I got to the point where I was this close from death. Spiritual not like this death where people are like, oh yeah, I was bad, man. I felt like dying. How was this close from physical death, mental death, spiritual death? It was over. I remember one October night, I had a friend, Ben. I love Ben. And, um, and he said, call me up. He knows, he know I was going through a hard time. And Ben said, call me up anytime. I called him up at like 1230 at night. I said, Ben, I, got, I need you. And I wasn't at home. I was at another friend's house. And, I said, and he said, can I come and get you? And I said, no, I'll make it down. And, and so I came down, and I, right outside of his house, in the middle of the night, end of October, I stumble out of the car. And I walk into his front yard, and he comes out. And I just fall into his arms. And he holds me. And I say, Jesus... What do you want me to do? What do you want me to do now? And you know where Jesus, where Jesus was? He had his arms out like this. Man, he's just hugging both me and Ben. I know it. And he's just crying with me. And he's saying, Jay, I don't want you to do anything. Don't do anything anymore. 
I don't care about your failures. I love you, and it doesn't change, and it never has, and it never will. And that's what Jesus is doing at this well. He's engaging this gallon conversation. It's the longest conversation that Jesus is having with a recorded conversation in the Bible. But you know what he's doing? He's looking at her going, you don't get it. I absolutely love you. I adore you. I can't explain how much I think about you and how much I care for you. I love you and I'm enough for you. And what that is, is it's grace. And grace and love are like this. Picture that. It's always like this. And the beautiful thing about our church is that we really believe that all the time and forever that love and grace are like this. And people are like, well, I used to love him, but now I don't. I'm like, I don't know if, I don't see how that works because love and grace are like this. And grace is what Jesus has given this lady. And, and so what I do is I, uh, when I'm preparing for this, I, I think, well, let, let me look up grace. Let's, let's see if I can make this make sense. So the first thing, the first place that you always go to when you're thinking about what grace is, is Urban Dictionary. <laughs> Does anybody know Urban Dictionary? All right. Urban Dictionary is a disaster, okay? But, uh, <laughs> but what it is, it's like if college, it's got to be witty people, like college guys or something. They go to an event or a party and they see something really funny or stupid and they come up with this word for it and they come up with a definition for it. And don't go home and check it out because like, a lot of it's dirty, but some of it has really good definitions in it, okay? And they really make sense. So the first definition of grace that I look up in Urban Dictionary and it makes complete sense is extra pieces of chicken in the KFC bucket. Everyone gets that, don't we? Right? That's grace. You're like, oh man, I ordered a 10 piece and I already ate four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11. Yes, I didn't deserve that. I ordered a 10 piece. Everyone gets that here. The typical definition of grace is getting what we don't deserve or not getting what we do. And that's always this play on words. It just means it's good. So it's like, you deserve some bad things. No, it's cool. I'm going to let it go. Or like, I do deserve that. And you're like, no, I'm just going to let it go. It's good. All right? That's grace. The last definition is really what I get. And that's being a parent. Okay? And when, when I, I talk to people and they say, do you know about Jesus' love? And they're like, oh, yeah, I know about Jesus' love. And, it's, and I say, it's because you're a parent, right? And they're like, no. And I'm like, I don't think you get it. <laughs> because like when you're a parent, you get it. And I never understood Jesus' love until I had my first guy, Ben. He's five years old and he's a ball of energy, okay? And I walk into his room at night and it's almost time to go to bed. And I get down by bed and he, he's just sleeping. He doesn't know I'm there. And, and I look at him and I go, I just kind of look at him for a while and I say, Ben, oh man, I love you. I get it. I adore you, Ben. I think about you all the time. And there's nothing that you could ever do to make me love you less or even love you more. Man, I love you. And then I get up and I go into Andrew's room. He's one and a half. 
And I look down into his, his little bed and I go, Ugh. <laughs> You're a disaster. But, then I, but after that, I look at him and I say, Oh, Andrew. Oh, Andrew, man. I remember when you were born and it was so scary. And I love you. There's nothing that will ever make me love you less or any love you anymore. I adore you. And when we get that, that's living water. And church, when people are in this seat and they get that, they're lonely, they're broken, they're struggling. When they get that, they say, oh man, oh that's so good. I'm not, my failures, it's so good. People get it. And the best example of people getting living water and getting just Jesus' love and grace for what it is is this tribe down in Papua New Guinea. Okay, we're going to show you a video about it. But uh, let me set it up. Um, this, this, this old couple, no, nah, I shouldn't say that because you're going to see them. Um, they're not old, they're young. <laughs> they're older and... They were actually told, the reason I say this is because people were like, no, no, you can't go down to Papua New Guinea. But they were like, no, we got to go down there. And so they go down to Papua New Guinea, and I don't know how this works, but they just show up at a tribe in Papua New Guinea and say, hey, can we live with you? <laughs> the tribe's like, okay, cool. So what they do is they spend, this is the perfect example of probably how missions should be done and how we reach out, really. But all they do is they just spend time with these people. They don't tell them about they just, they tell them about their life. They don't tell me anything about Jesus right away. They're just learning their language, hanging out with them, sitting around the fire, learning about what they think about how the spirits and the birds created things, and they go on hunts in the jungle, and they're learning their language, and they're just spending time with them, just loving them. And then finally one day what they do is they say, set up this square in the middle of the, uh, of the village here and gather around because two times a day we're going to tell you what we're all about, what our heart is all about. And so they're like, cool. So they're friends now, and they sit around, and uh, these people, they, they, they start from the basics. They say, you're in Papua New Guinea. That's what we call it. And you're in, around this ocean, and we're from this place in America, and we're going to tell you about the Bible, and it happened over here in Israel. And so, I mean, they're starting with the basics, and then they open up the Bible, and they start all the way at the beginning, and they start with Genesis. And it's really cool if you want, it's not in this part of the video, but they're like, they, they start telling them, Jesus, God made this, and God made that. And these people are like, I knew it. I knew a bird didn't create water. That makes sense now, you know? And so these people are getting it. And they walk through the Old Testament. They're going through the Bible. And I don't know how much you know about this story. I can't get into it now. But there's a story where God says, um, through Isaac, this guy Isaac, that this beautiful line of people is going to come through come through and God's going to do these amazing things through Isaac but then God these people are told you know that God says Abraham kill Isaac and these people are like flipping out and they're like what you can't kill Isaac and then the, the, it's cool because the missionaries don't tell them the end of the story they make them wait till the next day and like and they're like oh my goodness what's going to happen with Isaac this can't and then but they come to it on their own terms they're like there's got to be something's going to happen there's got to be a substitute for, for this Isaac and sure enough they get back the next day and they're like and God pulled a ram out and then Abraham killed the lamb because he didn't have to kill Isaac and then the people are really pumped and they get to the New Testament and this is where we're going to pick it up, okay? And this is what happens and this is grace. 
For two months, we taught key Old Testament stories chronologically before we finally introduced Jesus Christ as the Savior born as a babe in this world. As we studied the life of Christ, they fell in love with him and Jesus became the Mok hero. They loved him and they idolized him. Never during the weeks Mark taught did a villager miss a lesson, though he taught for three months, Monday through Friday, two times a day. Villagers that were sick were brought on makeshift stretchers. And when an expectant mother was near delivery, they arranged for her to be close enough to the meeting to hear the story. The baby arrived in the middle of one of the sessions, but the teaching still went on. At times the moke were so intense they stopped eating and would not even sleep. They spent every waking moment discussing the message and re-listening over and over again to the lessons recorded on cassette tapes. This wonderful Jesus was perfect and he could do anything. He was God. They finally came to explain the betrayal by Judas and the trial of Jesus before Pontius Pilate. Judas's betrayal was upsetting to the most, but they still had faith that somehow Jesus would escape. That was the last story we told them before the gospel presentation. At the end of it, we said, Tomorrow we will finish our talk. The next morning, the people were all gathered before sunrise. I told the story of Jesus appearing before Pilate. The people were very sober. When during our skit they saw Jesus being spit upon, beaten, and finally put to death, they were simply appalled. They were distraught. They couldn't believe what they were seeing. Because the death and shedding of blood is so significant to the gospel story, we had rigged a balloon filled with colored water to be pierced by our designated Roman soldier. It was when they saw the blood that the story began to take on significance. Our explanation and portrayal of Jesus Christ's resurrection was simple, but to them, very powerful. The Savior was alive. Then I went back into the Old Testament stories and beginning with Abel explained how Jesus was our acceptable sacrifice just like Abel's sacrifice was accepted by God. When I finally reached the story of Abraham and Isaac, I said to them, Listen, just as a real lamb was substituted for Isaac, so Christ's death and blood has been shed as a substitution for you. At that point, the lights really went on. I could see and hear them responding all over the crowd. I believe! I believe! I believe! I stood in their midst and asked them what they thought. From all over, responses came like this. I know I was born in sin. I believe Jesus paid for my sin, that he died in my place. He is my sin bearer. I lived in fear trying to please the spirits. 
for I knew no other way to be free from sin. But God in His grace has sent you to us. I've heard it and believe the death and blood of Christ is payment for my sin. I believe it, and God has forgiven me. On that day, almost all the village expressed belief in our Lord Jesus Christ. There was a sense of tremendous relief. The Mok are generally a restrained people, but as the gospel sunk in and new believers sensed the liberation from sin, spontaneous rejoicing broke out. Watch what happened. Village believers stating that he too believes that Christ has paid for his sins. Itao, which means it's true or it's good, it's very true. Village grammar rejoicing that he believes, so does she. Different ones giving testimony as to their belief in Christ as their sin bearer. Mark saying that if they really are believing, then God's word says that their sin is forgiven. Itao, it's good, it's true. Spontaneous rejoicing breaks out. This went on for two and a half hours. That's where my heart is, right there, with those people. That's living water in its purest form. Etau, they say, that's good. And when this whole thing becomes about this, I'm done. I'm done. This is, this is the living water. This is the reason they're jumping right here. Is that Jesus was with his disciples, his friends, and he knew he was going to die. And he said, friends, soon my body's going to be broken and ripped apart. It's good. It's good. took some wine and he said friends my body's going to be ripped just like this wine blood's going to just spill out for you friends it's living water and it's good in church friends this is good and this is living water dark cups are wine, the light cups are juice, and both of them are good, both of them are the blood.
real quick, the lady at the well called me up a week ago. And it was someone in my family, um, it's not my wife, it's a gal that's in my extended family who is like my twin. We're exactly alike and we just love each other. And she called me up and she said, she was crying and she said, oh Jay, I was 90 days sober and I failed last week and it was over. She's crying. But you know what I was thinking? I was thinking like those people in Papua New Guinea, my friends, and I was thinking, put down, because I knew it was good, I knew it was good. And I, and I said, Jesus loves you. And that's it. He adores you. He's crazy about you, and he thinks about you all the time. No matter if you're 90 days sober or 20 years sober, she got a brother. That's awesome, dude. It's super successful, and I'm wondering if it's in her brain. I say, and it's not what you do that's good that's going to change it. It's not that either. It's just that you're loved. In church, you're loved. You're adored. You're sought after. We've got to go get our kids now. If you're new... Go to this table back here. Sign up. We'd love to just connect with you and send you some information about us. Back where Peter is. Um, downstairs. It's downstairs? It's right. See, it's the new guy. Um, but, okay, so then everyone, go to, pick up your kids first. Then go downstairs. We got all sorts of just like donuts and coffee and all that stuff. And just love, all right? So uh, we'll see you next week.